This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. The only sports talk show in Washington dedicated to talking Washington Capitals hockey. Hear from the players, the coaches, local and national media personalities. And call us with your questions and comments toll-free at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. Radio 24-7. Here's your host of Capstock, Ben Raby. All right, welcome in to another edition of Capstock, a Thursday afternoon edition of the show and a game day edition of the show. As we get you set for the Capitals and the Carolina Hurricanes, the penultimate game for the Capitals before the annual bye week. That means next to last. It is also the front end of a home-and-home series between the Capitals and Hurricanes. They'll do it tonight here at Capital One Arena. And then the quick turnaround for both teams as they'll skate tomorrow night at PNC Arena in Raleigh. And then again, it's five days off completely for the Capitals. No games, no practice, do not pass go, do not collect $200. They'll be, for the most part, on a beach somewhere, enjoying life, loving life, and then they'll reconvene next week for another set of back-to-backs next Thursday and Friday against the New Jersey Devils and Montreal Canadiens. But first things first, it's tonight's matchup here in D.C. against Carolina. As we welcome you into the broadcast booth, it is Ben Raby back with you on this afternoon's edition of Caps Talk. As we remind you that it's a live edition of the show. We're with you every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 Eastern on Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Podcast of the show also available via iTunes and on Blueberry.com slash Caps Radio 24-7. All right, Capitals tonight seeking a season-high sixth win in a row. They have also won 10 straight on home ice, and the Capitals' 10-game home winning streak, the longest in the NHL this season. The Capitals' most recent win coming two nights ago, Tuesday evening, the 3-1 victory over the Vancouver Canucks in which John Carlson, Lars Eller, and Evgeny Kuznetsov were your goal scorers. Philip Grubauer was the first star of the night. He turned aside 37 of the 38 shots he faced as the Capitals starting to create a little bit of separation atop the Metropolitan Division. Four points clear of the second-place Columbus Blue Jackets and now five points up on the third-place New Jersey Devils. We referenced John Carlson had a goal the other night. It was his fifth of the season and also his 34th point of the year. And 34 points for John Carlson. That is second most among all defensemen in scoring this season. Only Dallas Stars blue liner John Klingberg has more points as far as defensemen are concerned in the NHL this season than John Carlson. And for that reason, among others, there was a good possibility John Carlson was going to be included on the All-Star team when the rosters were announced yesterday afternoon. It was not the case. The All-Star rosters announced yesterday afternoon, and to the surprise of many, John Carlson not among the All-Star selections to represent the Metropolitan Division in Tampa Bay later this month. Instead, the Capitals will have quite a bit of representation, just not John Carlson. As we know, Alex Ovechkin, he was named last week captain of the Metropolitan Division. Barry Trotz will serve as the head coach of the Metropolitan Division. Not sure how much coaching is involved in the three-on-three extravaganza, but... Nice feather in the cap, nonetheless, for Barry Trotz to represent the Caps at the All-Star game once again. 
And then we had a feeling the Capitals would get another addition. Many of us thought it would be John Carlson. It was ultimately, and there's nothing wrong with this, it was ultimately Braden Holpe, who will also be representing the Capitals at the All-Star Game later this month in Tampa Bay. And kudos to Braden Holpe. Becomes the first goaltender in franchise history with three straight All-Star Game selections. So Holpe and Henrik Lundqvist of the New York Rangers, the two goalies selected to represent the Metropolitan Division at the All-Star Game. As far as John Carlson is concerned, perhaps working against him, simply the All-Star Game format, that being where every team in the division has to be represented. And you look at the three defensemen who are going to the All-Star Game from the Metropolitan you have Chris Letang of the Pittsburgh Penguins going for the fourth time in his NHL career. Seth Jones of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He is the only representative from Columbus. So, again, every team has to have at least one representative. So Seth Jones will represent the Blue Jackets at the All-Star Game on the back end. And we'll see him tonight for the Carolina Hurricanes. Noah Hannafin heading to the All-Star Game for the first time in his career. And if you're just looking on the surface, the numbers, the stats, the significance to their teams... Should John Carlson be going over Noah Hannafin of the Carolina Hurricanes? Sure, he probably should. But again, if you take Noah Hannafin off the All-Star team, you have to fill it with another Carolina Hurricane, and then that creates a whole trickle-down effect. So long story short, the Metropolitan Division, 11 players going to the All-Star game, three defensemen part of that roster. Noah Hannafin, Seth Jones, Chris Letang make up that group. John Carlson will have to wait now for his first all-Star Game selection. We will hear a little bit later on from Brooks Orpik on the impact Carlson has made with the Capitals through the first half of this season. Again, not only leading all Capitals defensemen in scoring this season, also leading the team in ice time this year. He is fourth among all players in the NHL in average ice time is John Carlson. And when you look at the Capitals' rise atop the Metropolitan Division this season and when you consider what was lost in the offseason, with the departures, particularly on the back end of Carl Alsner, Nate Schmidt, and Kevin Shattenkirk, and then you throw in an early season injury to Matt Niskanen. John Carlson has certainly had to do some heavy lifting on the back end for the Capitals. So we hear from Brooks Orpik on that a little bit later on. Also, I chatted earlier today with associate coach Todd Reardon, primarily responsible for the defenseman for the Capitals. We'll hear from Todd Reardon coming up a little bit later on in the show. We'll also chat with Steve Wino from the Associated Press. And we'll get the scouting report on the Carolina Hurricanes, tonight's opponents, who come into play having dropped four of their previous five games. We'll do that now. We're number two of the program with Mike Maniscalco of the Carolina Hurricanes Radio Network. But first off, we begin as we do most shows with the thoughts of head coach Barry Trotz, who spoke earlier today at Kettler with John. Well, Barry, after giving up the first goal to Vancouver, the team responding pretty well and putting the Canucks down and playing a pretty solid hockey game, getting contributions from across the roster again, and another win at home, now 10 in a row after beating Vancouver. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of a sluggish start for us. Uh, the first 10 minutes weren't, weren't maybe our best, and then I thought we started, got pulled into the game a little bit there, and and uh, we were we were fine. Second period, maybe our best period of, of the year. And uh, we, yeah, I felt like we could have pulled away a lot more than we did in the second period. But we just, you know, their their goaltender played well. We missed a couple of real good looks. But in terms of possession time, I mean, I I know I was looking to my left a lot from the bench, uh, pretty well the whole period. So it, it was a pretty dominating uh, second period. And the third period, uh, we weren't obviously as good. Uh, they were they got a little bit of a uh, pushback and and they threw a lot of pucks to the net, but there wasn't a lot of danger. 
uh, involved there. I know your sentiment, and I think shared by many in looking at the team that you'll be coaching in Tampa Bay, really disappointed that John Carlson wasn't on it, given the year he had, uh, the minutes he's logged, as much as anyone knows uh, how important he's been to this team, a little disappointing he's not going to be in Tampa Bay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, you know, obviously uh, I'm I'm biased because I see him uh, night in and night out, but I I think I'm a realist. I I know he should be on that team. I I know, I I feel like... uh, in his situation, it's it's absolute crime that he's not there. He's had that good of a year. Uh, he should have that experience, and uh, I know that the the NHL goes you know through a thorough process of trying to take all the factors and get everybody uh, there. But I, I really felt that uh, no question he should be there. Jacob Vrana didn't get on the score sheet the other night, and it's been a while since he scored a goal. But as good a game as he seemed to have in some time, and Mr. Fixit there on that second line, he'd been moving Tom Wilson from first to third to second, and it didn't seem like it was a coincidence that that started to move Rana and Kuznetsov a little bit forward the other night. Yeah, absolutely. Tom's been really good. I mean, he doesn't sometimes get the on the score sheet as, as much, but he really, I think he energized that line. Uh, I thought Kuzi and 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 Jake, if Jake plays like that every every game and Kuzi plays like that, uh, Jake will probably get forty goals by the end of the year because he had uh, he was dangerous all night. That speed, uh, love the fact that he was competing on the puck, uh, taking it to you know he committed to that wide speed when he had it. Uh, took it to the hard areas. He went around Good Branson there. Um, you know, knew that he was going to get you know, possibly hit and tried to make a play and stuff like that. Those are the things that are going to get him scoring a lot of goals. And I thought he had a real strong game. A rarity here that you would get a division opponent on back-to-back nights in an old-school two-and-two here, other than the potential for a little animosity by the time we get to Raleigh and you see each other for six periods. Any going into this final stretch for the break? Uh, just that we focus on the two games. Uh, and not focus on the break uh, coming on the back end. So uh, I think when you play, uh, you know, team six periods straight, you just you take it one period at a time. Win as many periods as you can. And if you do that, the score should, you know, be in your favor. So we'll, we'll have to focus on the first period tonight and go from there. Well, Barry, we appreciate it as always. Good luck with the Canes. All right. Take care. All right. There they are. Some of the pregame thoughts. Capitals head coach Barry Trotz looking ahead to tonight's game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Also heard his comments there on John Carlson's All-Star Game snub, which will be a common theme over the course of this afternoon's show. And also heard him talking about the play of the Capitals' second line in the win over the Vancouver Canucks on Tuesday. Jacob Verana, he enters play this evening 10 games in a row without finding the back of the net, a 10-game goalless drought. That being said, he had arguably one of his better games in quite some time. Tuesday against Vancouver matched his career high with six shots on goal, and that second line as a whole, Kuznetsov, Verana, and Wilson, that trio combining for 15 shots on goal in the 3-1 win over the Canucks. Kuznetsov had an insurance marker in the second period, his 13th of the year, but overall that trio looked very good, and they will be back together tonight against Carolina. We could tell you real quick, the Capitals lineup. Top line also remaining the same. Backstrom between Ovechkin and Devante Smith-Pelly. That second line of Kuznetsov, Verana, and Tom Wilson. Little bit of a change to the Capitals' third line tonight. Lars Eller, he enters play tonight on a two-game goal-scoring streak. He's up to seven on the year. He'll be back on the third line between TJ Oshie and Andre Burakovsky. So Burakovsky gets elevated up the depth chart a little bit from the fourth line to the third, and that is because Brett Connolly 
will sit out tonight as a healthy scratch. The fourth line for the Capitals tonight, Jay Beagle between Chandler Stevenson and Alex Chason. Your six defensemen remain the same as they have been over the last little stretch and the one change tonight in goal as well after Philip Grubauer was your first star on Tuesday night. No surprise here, Braden Holpe will start the final home game here before the bye week, but worth noting, Holpe in goal tonight. Philip Grubauer expected to start again tomorrow in the back end of the home and home series in Carolina. For the Hurricanes, Scott Darling, their key offseason acquisition. He starts in goal tonight for the Hurricanes with Cam Ward expected to go tomorrow in Carolina. All right, we reference Braden Holpe, the recently minted NHL All-Star for the third consecutive season. He will be heading to the NHL All-Star game, the three-on-three -three extravaganza, and Braden Holpe sharing his thoughts on that feather in his cap earlier today at the Kettler Capitals Iceplex. Obviously, it's a, it's a big honor, um, a little surprising. Um, I had no idea if, uh, what, the, what the chances were. I didn't put too much thought, thought into it um, other than, uh, you know, you, you want to plan around it um, for people and stuff, so it's... Uh, um, you know, it's going to be fun. It's, uh, I think Tampa is one of the um, best places in the league in term, terms of uh, fan experience and stuff, so it'll be, a, it'll be a fun experience. It's kind of a workout for uh, for goalies there with the three-on-three -three format. Do you, have, do you have fun with that? Yeah, it's better than the other than the other way around. Um, at least, you, you know, it's short enough that you can just go out there, you can um, play a little bit, uh, you know, have some fun with it. And, uh, you know, you're not sitting through a whole, you know, a boring game or something. So it's, uh, it's not that bad. It's uh, um, manageable. You mentioned just now that you need to manage your schedule a little bit uh, when it comes to All-Star Weekend. The fact you guys end in Florida, does that really help? You don't want to fly all the way back. I imagine you can just go straight over to Tampa, right? Yeah, it's definitely a, um, a benefit for us. I think last year was really tough. Um, uh, the, fly, the flight to L.A. and... Um, on the road right after, and just the way the schedule worked out, it was uh, it was really tough. Um, I think this way it's going to be a lot easier. Uh, closer flight, obviously, and, and playing in Florida right before the game, it's it's um, you know, it's going to be nice. All right, there they are. Thoughts from Braden Holpe as he heads back to the All Star Game for the third consecutive season, along with Alex Ovechkin, head coach Barry Trotz, and this is actually pretty cool as well. The Capitals, uh, it sounds like an afterthought, but really these guys are, are hard workers. The Capitals' entire equipment managers and the entire locker room crew, they're also heading to the All-Star game. They'll be in charge of running things for the Metropolitan Division. Those are sometimes thankless jobs, the hours those guys put in, the behind-the-scenes work from Brock Miles and the entire Washington Capitals equipment managing crew. They will be heading to the All-Star game this season as well with Holpe, Ovechkin, and Trotz as your headliners representing the Capitals later this month in Tampa Bay. All right, when we come back, we're going to head inside the Capitals dressing room. We'll hear from Brooks Orpik, chatted with him one-on-one -on -one earlier today after the Capitals' morning skate. We'll also hear from assistant coach Lane Lambert, his post-game chat with Ken Sabrin following the Capitals' 3-1 win Tuesday night over the Vancouver Canucks. And also still to come in hour number one, my one-on-one -on -one chat with associate coach Todd Reardon, chatted with him also today at Kettler. Looking back on the first half of the season from the veteran John Carlson, but also the young guns, the two rookies in the Capitals lineup, becoming fixtures on the back end, Christian Juice and Madison Bowie. All that, a whole lot more busy game day edition of Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app. Is K 
Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Ford Pickham on the left side, and a shot that goes a little bit wide and high right. And now a fight starts with Smith Kelly behind the net with Hutton, and a big takedown and a big overhand right that drops Hutton behind the net with 17-43 to go here. Ben Hutton biting off a little more than he could chew, maybe. Smith Pelly with a big takedown, and it brings this place to its feet. Oh, not only Smith Pelly, what a move by him, though. Warpick takes a big hit from Hutton, the veteran that he is, and Smith Pelly didn't waste any time at all coming to his teammate's defense like that. He comes in ready to go. You got to give a lot of credit to Smith Pelly on that. That's the way this team has been winning as a team, and that brings it even closer. And then among the highlights, Tuesday night here at Capital One Arena, part of the Caps' 3-1 win over the Vancouver Canucks. That coming early in the third period, Brooks Orpik hit high by Vancouver defenseman Ben Hutton and heard it there in the highlight. Devontae Smith-Pelly did not hesitate, went right after Hutton, and the two dropped the gloves. They each received five minutes for fighting. Devontae Smith-Pelly received a little bit more than that on top of that if you will. He also got two minutes for instigating in the two-minute game misconduct, but he also earned a lot of stick taps and high fives from his teammates. Devontae Smith-Pelly did coming to the defense of Brooks Orpik, and the Capitals successfully killed off that two-minute minor for instigating that DSP received, and Ken Sabrin referenced in our broadcast on Tuesday. Those are the types of penalties you, you give the extra little bit to make sure you kill off when a teammate is sent to the sin bin because he came to defense of one of your players. And uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly certainly received a lot of verbal bouquets and high praise following uh, his actions early in the third period in the 3-1 win. And, uh, again, that among the highlights on Tuesday night. Now, the game itself on Tuesday, the 3-1 win. Capitals responding after they fell behind 1-0 early in the first period. Three unanswered goals from Carlson, Eller, and Kuznetsov, and Philip Grubauer. Man, was he sharp. Turned aside 37 of the 38 shots he faced, including all 20 that came his way in the third period as the Canucks tried to mount a late comeback. And also of note for the Capitals, the second period on Tuesday night. Second periods have been, at times this year, a little bit of an issue for the Capitals. A hard one to explain, but second periods have just been uh, very inconsistent for the Capitals this season. Tuesday night was an exception. It was arguably their best period of the night where they really created a little bit of separation between themselves and Vancouver. They added a key insurance marker for the 3-1 lead. They outshot the Canucks 18-4 in the second period and really spent much of the frame inside the capital zone. And that was among the talking points after the 3-1 win as Ken Sabrin chatted one-on-one with assistant coach Lane Lambert outside the victorious Capitals dressing room. Well, Lane, keep doing this. The same thing. That's a good thing. Ten in a row at home. You guys, other than the first couple of minutes of the first period, I thought you guys played a very solid hockey game. Yeah, we were uh, <laughs> we were we were pretty good. And and actually, I thought maybe we got a little. If there's a way to get too good at times, uh, we tried to get a little too fine with the puck. And certainly, we were making some plays. And I thought we passed up some opportunities to shoot. And I, I give really, I give both goaltenders full full marks. First of all, their goaltender. Had an amazing second period, and I thought uh, Gruby had a great third period for us. So, um, you know, it was uh, like you say, it's uh, our our tenth in a row at home. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, and uh, you know, we're uh, we're we're full credit for it. 
And a lot of credit has to go to that second line. Kuznetsov line was outstanding tonight. I mean, uh, Wilson throwing the body around, getting shots, everybody firing that puck. But all three guys, Verona, played outstanding. Yeah, they did. Re- they really did. And Tom was engaged right from the beginning, obviously. Uh, like you say, a lot of a lot of contact. Uh, they had some great opportunities. And I thought Kuznetsov and uh, and Verona worked well together. And Tom compliment- complimented them well. And that's, that's kind of what he does is he gets in, he creates uh, havoc on the forecheck, and then gives those guys an opportunity to make some plays. And I thought they made some plays for sure uh, in the offensive zone. And I thought Verona... Uh, we really saw his speed tonight too, and when he's using his speed and taking taking the puck wide, it, it's uh, it's it's actually pretty fun to watch. And you look at this team; it seems like they're having a ton of fun on the ice, off the ice, and a very close team. And you can see, to me, a big play was Smith Pelly. You know, Orpik takes wasn't a bad hit, but I mean that's a big guy. You know, you're one of your veteran guys. The respect they have in the room. He comes in, doesn't hesitate, does what he has to do, and you guys have that huge kill after. Well, we did, and uh, you know, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Ken. Uh, I thought that was one of the biggest plays of the night for me, and that just, uh, you know, that shows you how much they care about each other. And and he actually got the uh, the player of the game thing from the guys so uh, there's no question uh, very astute observation by you and certainly uh, one of the things that we need uh, from our from our group going forward and one more you got to you know, without saying Grubauer once again I mean contested in the first not so much in the second but as you said he's been playing some good hockey he has been and uh, you know I mean it's a it's a tough job because as a backup you don't really always get into a rhythm and you're expected to come out and you know and play a a strong game and certainly uh, I thought he just got better as the game went on and um, you know at the end of the day I you know the third period for me uh, we needed to, we need to clean some things up there for sure and uh, he actually he he actually erased a few of our mistakes which is what good goalies do well congratulations and uh, we'll do it again thanks Kenny and again, Grubauer, your first star on Tuesday night with 37 saves on 38 shots in the 3-1 win over Vancouver, including all 20 shots he faced in the final 20 minutes of regulation. Holpe gets the start tonight. Holpe has won eight in a row here at Capital One Arena. The Caps as a whole on a 10-game home winning streak, the longest home winning streak in the NHL so far this season. We've referenced Braden Holpe heading to the All-Star game later this month with Ovechkin and Barry Trotz. John Carlson not part of that group. The term snub has certainly been thrown around over the past 24 hours in these parts. And earlier today spoke to Brooks Orpik in the Capitals dressing room about his thoughts of John Carlson not being selected to the All-Star game and also Brooks Orpik's thoughts on the young defenseman on the roster this season in Christian Juice and Madison Bowie. First off, some of us were surprised when the All-Star teams were announced yesterday and John wasn't a part of it. There's circumstances. We get it. Every team has to be represented. But when you look at the first half of the season he had, what are some of the things that impress you with how he handled himself and an increased workload? Well, I wouldn't put much value into the All-Star game selections. I mean, Nicky Backstrom has played in one, I think. So that tells you enough about the selection process for that. Um, So I'm not going to get too much into into whether or not certain guys should be there. Um, selfishly speaking, I'm glad Carly's not going, so he gets uh, he gets some extra rest with, with the amount of minutes he's been playing this year. I think he's uh, he's obviously had to step up a lot um, with the guys that, that we lost from last year, and then uh, especially when Niski was out this year, he, he was he was probably pressed to play probably more minutes than. Um, he probably should have been, um, but he didn't complain. He, he did a really good job with it, and 
Um, whether or not that's sustainable over a long mm -hmm. season is, is debatable, but I think you see the way he's been playing now. He's, he's definitely uh, he's kind of the key to that power play, um, kind of facilitating and um, kind of playing right between Backy and Ovi. So he's. Uh, He's been really good for us. You feel he's handled the increased minutes. Obviously, a lot of that went back to October, November when Matt was out. But what maybe went into handling those minutes, he's acknowledged he feels anyways. At least he says he feels he gets stronger a little bit as the game goes along. Yeah, uh, I think every player, I, I think, wants to play as much as they can. Um, that's that's kind of the competitive side to you. But I think... Um, I think Chicago is a good example. I mean, you, you look at a guy like Duncan Keith, who's, who's, who's in, in as good a shape as anyone in the league. And he was playing like close to 28, 29 minutes in Chicago, um, kind of reduced him back down a little bit to, to more of a sweet spot where they thought he could be more productive. And I think there's a lot of guys who I think are capable of playing more minutes, but I think when you do that, you, you tend to kind of pace yourself and maybe you're not getting the... Um, Kind of the the most bang for your buck, I guess, in terms of the minutes you're getting. I think when Carly plays more closer to the 25 minutes, I think you see him be a lot more assertive in, in certain areas, and you can be more physical without worrying about tiring yourself out when you're playing closer to 30 minutes. So, um, I'm sure he'd love to play 30 minutes, but but I think for for, for himself and for the team, I, I think I, I think he's he's a lot more dynamic when he's playing more than minutes that he's playing now when we have Niski back. Ask you the other end of the spectrum for Christian and Madison. We've spoken about their getting acclimated to the NHL. What are they going to find out in the second half of the season, or how does it amp up, and what are the challenges in your first full NHL season as the game's gaining importance down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, they. they um, I think as the season goes, and obviously when you get to playoffs, everything kind of gets magnified and ramped up, and um, games are a lot more... I don't know if they're low-scoring games, but, but, but they're definitely closer. Um, I mean, you see a lot, a lot of three-point games down the stretch, so it's, it's tough if you dig yourself a hole team-wise to, to kind of catch up. Um, but those guys are ready for it. I mean, they've, they've gotten better and better as the season's gone on, so I don't think it's going to be um, too much of a surprise to them. You know, I mean, they, um, with the way they learn and the way they work, I, I think they're going to keep getting better as the, as the schedule ramps up for us. What's impressed you with each of them? Each of them. Um, A lot of things, really. I mean, I mean, they're 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 both they're both pretty quiet guys. Um, they come in and they try to learn. They have a great attitude every day. But I think probably, I think learning from mistakes, which is crucial in this league, um, and how do you respond to mistakes? You know, like it's um, you want to learn from them, but you also want to wash them away quickly so that they they have a good ability there, um, kind of bouncing back after they do make mistakes. And final thing, I don't know if you would remember this. I asked Madison the other day when he felt he was, you know sort of settled in in the NHL, not comfortable, but where he had sort of a welcome to the NHL moment. He said there was a game against Pittsburgh earlier this year where you and him were primarily up against the Malkin-Kessel line. I'm not sure if you would remember that. That's another night at the office for you, but he acknowledged for him it was a big deal. Matt was still out. It was early November. Does that ring a bell at all? Yeah, I think we... I might be mistaken. I think we've only played him once, so I do remember the game. Um, yeah, he was... Um, that's always a good test, you know, and it's instead of kind of sheltering um, certain guys against certain matchups, you kind of um, obviously you want to test guys. And that's, that was a really good test. And that, that, that line's probably been their best line in Pittsburgh this year. And, um, I hate using the word comfortable, though. Yeah. Um, 
I'd say I'd say maybe that that, that you know you belong here. Um, yeah, I think that's what I mean. I'm in my whatever year, and, and if I allow myself to get comfortable, I'm going to be out of a job. So I'll stay away from the word comfortable. All right, good stuff, though, from Brooks Orpik right there inside the Capitals dressing room. His thoughts on the all-star game selection process and also weighing in on the rookies, Christian Juice and Madison Bowie, as they now get set for the second half of their rookie campaigns and both Bowie and Juice on pace anyways to play north of 50 games this season and that would actually mark the first time for the Capitals they have two rookie defensemen in the same season both playing more than 50 games in the same year since the early 80s have to go back to 1980-81 the last time the Caps had at least two rookie defensemen both skating at least 50 plus games in the same season so uh, certainly noteworthy right there and we'll hear a lot more on Juice and Bowie and their development in year number one coming up next segment when we chat one-on-one with Capitals associate coach Todd Reardon we'll also get his thoughts on the impact John Carlson has made this season particularly early on when Matt Niskanen was out with injury we'll do that when Caps Talk continues in a moment Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app afternoon commute just got a whole lot better this is caps talk on caps radio 24 7 talking capitals with you while you drop your gloves in traffic marks are taking shelter on the puck from the outside they score john carlson from outside the right circle as the net was tipping up from behind Markstrom was just protecting himself for a moment, but the play continued. The net came back down, and a shot from the outside. The Capitals, with 4.47 to go in the first, have tied the game at one. And there it was Tuesday here at Capital One Arena. John Carlson with his fifth goal of the season, his 12th point in the last 12 games for John Carlson, and he is now one point shy of Nice milestone in his NHL career, one point shy of the round number of 300 for his NHL career. We'll see if he can get that going tonight as the Capitals begin a home-and-home series against a Metropolitan Division foe in the Carolina Hurricanes. Welcome you back to the broadcast booth. Ben Ray be back with you this game day edition of Caps Talk, Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. We reference Braden Holpe and Scott Darling, your goaltending matchup tonight. We do anticipate Grubauer versus Cam Ward tomorrow in the back end of the home-and-home from PNC Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina. All right, so Braden Holpe off to the All-Star Game, third straight year. John Carlson, as we've referenced, not among the three defensemen selected to represent the Metropolitan Division. And earlier today, Barry Trotz in his meeting with the media at Kettler acknowledged good on Braden Holpe. A shame, though, for John Carlson. Uh, well, I, I always think he's an all-star. Uh, in, a, in my mind, he's, you know, goaltending's been good. Him and Gruby have been fantastic this year. Um, I was dis- uh, supremely disappointed that Carlson, I, I think it's a crime that he didn't didn't make it, but I'm um, not in that selection process. I, I know he's been one of the best defensemen. I know how much he's meant to us as, as a group, and especially with Niski out for uh, early in the year and how many minutes he's had to play. Um, Playing with uh, you know pure rookies uh, on the back end and helping them along, I, I just think he should have been there. But I, I'm biased. Obviously, uh, I see him night in and night out, and um, 
I, I really, I really truly believe he should be on that, that group. And who knows, there's a, a few days here and something might happen. And I, I hope he has that experience because he deserves it. And the thoughts there from Barry Trotz on the All-Star Game selections and also for perspective on the value of John Carlson this season and the growth of Juice and Bowie had a chance earlier today to catch up one-on-one -on -one with Capitals associate coach Todd Reardon, who is largely responsible for managing the Capitals' blue liners. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been a big reason why we are um, where we're at right now in the standings. Um, you know, going into every year, you have a little bit of a different plan with each player and um, you know, a big a big part of, of moving forward with John this year was hoping that he'd stay healthy. I think, you know, looking back um, on, in our initial year together, I think he made some really big games. I think he finished 10th or 11th in Norris voting, and the last couple of years has been kind of bogged down with some injuries that haven't allowed him to get to, to full strength, I don't think, during the year. And, um, you know, this one we've been able to, to hit the ground running this season and really have him allow him to to be able to showcase some of the things he can do both offensively and defensively. And the numbers uh, speak for themselves on, on the first half of the season for John. What are some of those things that he's been able to showcase? Yeah, I think, you know, really for me, his skating uh, – um, really seems to be a difference maker. It's allowed him to to defend quicker, um, and it's and it's allowed him to join the offense and be a part of the rush. Um, uh, whether it's you know off of uh, line rushes and beating opposition forwards up the ice to be able to create offense that way, or it's in zone where he's able to to create uh, some movement on the blue line and, and not make himself too vulnerable defensively. So, um, you know, I think those were those were keys for us and and certainly getting back and, and being mentioned in that, um, you know, you know, initial, you know, top 10, top 15 um, in the Norris voting was somewhere where we wanted to get back to this year. And, um, you know, he's he, he's really put a lot of extra time and effort into trying to get mentioned back in that that group. And a lot of it has to do with just uh, being healthy. I feel like league wide, you know, you, you wonder how closely folks are keeping tabs on each individual team. But when you look at this one and you look at October, November, when Matt is out, that is really where he sort of took it to, to another level where it was required, certainly in least parts, to, to at least maintain a little bit of a, an above 500 record without Matt. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it goes, uh, obviously the minutes, um, we're, we're at a, a high number there, um, you know, close to 30 minutes on a few different occasions and, um, you know, even over it uh, a couple times as well. So it, it's uh, the responsibility that goes with that. But it's also working with young players and, um, you know, I think helping his partner along and, you know, at that time having two or three young guys in the lineup, I think he's done a really good job of um, continuing to grow not just his own game, but trying to, con you know, help the, the players around him grow, uh, understanding that the, the, the better they get, uh, the faster they get better, the, um, the better the situation is for him and, and how it'll uh, open up some different opportunities for him to, to maybe be more offensive and, and be more relied upon in different uh, um, situations. So I, I've been uh, happy with that as well this far. Speaking of those rookies, was talking to Madison the other day. I'm not sure if you would remember this anecdote, but I asked him where he felt, not comfortable, but where he felt, okay, he can certainly handle the NHL. And he pointed to a game against Pittsburgh in November. Matt was still out, and it was primarily Madison playing with Orpik, and they were matched up a lot against Kessel and, and the Malkin line. Do you recall that? He, he seemed to mention it as 
as a moment where he felt, okay, he wasn't necessarily being sheltered kind of thing. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's, you know, I think it, it's the responsibility of the coach. Um, and, and to me, it's it, 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 a huge amount of it, um, it starts with having a plan for each player. And every player is a little bit different in that regard. And, you know, setting them up for success is so important, especially for defensemen in this league and something that, you know, I've used over the last, you know, seven, eight years here in terms of developing defensemen is, you know, you have to put them in a situation where they can have success and, and they're in the proper matchups and they're, they're, they're gaining confidence game by game. And that was uh, for sure a game I remember quite well. And, um, you know, working through the process with these guys in terms of putting them in situations and, and seeing how their game feels. I think that was one that, that really sent a, a message to to me, obviously, and then and his teammates that he was ready for, for, for this league and, and to be um, counted on in different situations. And, and obviously Pittsburgh brings a unique challenge with um, the, the different forward groups that they can put out against you. So I thought he did a, a phenomenal job and know the game very well. And, you know, there's, um, you know, every day is, a, is something new. And, and, you know, that's that's how it is with, with John, um, you know, with trying to improve different skills and different um, habits and different things we, we try to work on in practice, you know, um, daily. But, you know, for, for Madison, every day for him is, is a different day. He hasn't done this before. And, um, you know, we we deal with it, um, you know, that way that every every day is a new day and, and and whether the day before it went well or didn't go well, then we react accordingly and and have a plan in place for how to to succeed. So it's um, it, I think that, you know, that for me, that game was the the one that, um, you know, really sign, uh, signified to me that he was he was uh, ready to go. There's a chance that both he and Christian could play, you know, north of 50, 55 games would be the first time this team has two rookie defensemen in the same season play that many in the same year since the early 80s. What's that been like for you just in terms of bringing in two guys, maybe based on the Matt Niskanen injury, maybe a little bit earlier than anticipated in October, but as far as seeing the two of them grow in, in the same year together? Yeah, I think they've, um, you know, certainly they've earned it. Um, there's there's been nothing handed to them. They're not uh, cutting corners um, to to get to where they are. They put their time and their effort in. They they spend time video uh, you know a lot of time with video both on their own and and with me and um, earning the respect of their teammates. I think is really important and you know I think that's the thing that uh, um, is, I've been probably happiest with is is how the the rest of the team understands what they're going through and, and the process of playing defense in this league and not being the easiest of positions to play as a young guy. And um, they've been really supportive on the bench and, and helping them on the ice and off the ice with all the, the stuff that goes along with becoming a, a full-time NHL player. So, you know, certainly that's our um, goal is to continue to you know, put, be putting them in games and getting them the experience they need. And, you know, as long as we continue down the right path, and continue to grow their roles and you know both of their roles have grown um you know this season in terms of uh zone starts you know in, in christian's uh, uh case and you know with madison uh you know having some opportunities to be on the penalty kill at, at, at different points of the of the season and then also as we've already addressed uh heightened matchups given the situation and and how things are going so um you know i i've really enjoyed 
um, and always enjoy working with um, you know young players and, and seeing their games develop and it's 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 a lot of fun um, and obviously a, a new challenge this year with us you know having a pretty veteran defensive core the last couple of years and um, understanding that um, you know how it is a process and how these they're just young young people that are uh, um, not not only going through uh, changes on the ice and in, in terms of a level of difficulty of, of play and playing in the le- best league in the world, but also just uh, you know elements of, of becoming a, a pro athlete off the ice in a bigger market and um, you know going through all those trials and and, and tribulations that, that go hand in hand with um, becoming um, you know a little bit of a um, more solidified NHL player give that anecdote about Madison. Is there an example or an anecdote either for one or each of them where you saw that they picked up something or learned something, a teaching moment kind of thing where maybe they did something in October, November, it's since been corrected and you've seen them handle either the situation or been able to to recover from that? I'd like to say there was only one of those (laughs) situations, but um, there's there's been a fair amount both ways. you know, I think uh, they're both, uh, you know, unique in their own way, which is what makes uh, coaching just, uh, for me, the, the best job in the world because every player is different and and their personalities and their path to get here. And, um, you know, you have to treat each situation, you know, as a, uh individual uh, entity and, and, and move forward with it. And, you know, I think about you know, for me is developing relationships with both of them where they feel comfortable and they, they know that um, they're going to get uh, the, the, the true straight, straight up scoop from me um, in terms of how they're playing good or bad. And I think what, where we've grown the most is in their ability to, to evaluate their own game. Um, we spent some time this year under, you know, developing uh, foundation keys for, for what their game needs to look like at this point and, and letting them understand how to truly self-evaluate their own game. Um, and I think that's been um, a huge part of their growth and I think is really important for young players to, to understand what's expected of them by the coaching staff and uh, me in particular and, and what's needed for them to continue um, to get more responsibility, to get more opportunity to play, to build in terms of how they're being used. Um, it's a very clear vision of, of what's expected and what's not expected, and they um, go through a, a self-evaluation after the game, and then we go through a group evaluation as a, um, between the two of us um, in terms of how things went on, the, on every game-in, game-out basis. So it's a really valuable exercise that I feel helps uh, players understand exactly uh, um, where they're, uh, you know, doing well in, in areas where they can improve and, and how the coaching staff evaluates them. And now they don't ever leave the rink not knowing whether we're happy with them or not happy with them at the, at the time. And I think that's always been something that was passed on to me from um, actually Joel Quinville when I played for him in St. Louis was a very clear vision of um, you don't need to uh, spend time worrying about whether the coach is happy with you or not. You have a clear plan of, of what is expected, and then you know after whether it's been good or it's not been good. All right, so that's appreciated. So final thing, just looking ahead to the, the second half and the stretch run here. It's one thing for rookies and NHL newbies to handle the first half of the season. What are they going to discover here down the stretch and into the second half as the games gain in importance and, and the hockey gets you know, a little tougher and, and the matchups might get a little tougher along the way as well. 
Yeah, and I think you see, um, you know, in particular some other, some teams, um, you know, really gearing up come trade deadline where um, now uh, all of a sudden some teams where their third and fourth lines were um, some weaknesses, they, they all of a sudden become uh, strengths and depth um, for teams that are making a real push for, for our Stanley Cup. And I think that's the real challenge in terms of matchups for, for me and the heightened level of um, – you know, uh, difficulty for them in terms of the opponent that they're playing against. So that will be uh, something that they're going to see. They're going to see some some very good teams that uh, and, and very deep teams that um, don't just have two lines but have four full lines that can really, um, you know, ha- have an effect and and uh, make it very difficult to, to defend. But um, I think also it's just getting, um, you know, uh, used to a full grind of, of the you know 82 game season in terms of um, you know once you get into February we play a lot of a lot of games and um, realizing how to manage and, and take care of your body and and continue to keep your strength and um, continue to keep your power with uh, you know a heightened schedule and a heightened amount of games so I think that's the thing that they're gonna to find is quite a bit different than the American Hockey League is the, the number of games that are going to take place from February on, uh, and the, the the amount of uh, the the amount that the intensity will increase in certain nights and, and other nights um, not increase. And teams that are 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 planning maybe for for different uh, uh, days down the road. So um, you know that that's something we'll continue to to prepare them for. I think. Um, you know, we feel like we give them a really good uh, game team systems game plan every night, and you know, letting them know what type of players to expect and uh, from the opposition and strengths and weaknesses of those players. And you know, we'll continue to do that, and, and then it's up to them to 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 do the things that they've been uh, given um, the ability to do, and 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 have the the uh, the ability to to execute in situations where, again, for me, it's a it's a it's a big big picture thing where they've got to continue to grow and, and get better so that they can be, um, you know, in uh, John Carlson's shoes, uh, um, you know, four, four or five years down the road. There he is, Todd Reardon, associate coach of the Capitals, chatting with him earlier today at Kettler. Good stuff there, awesome stuff, analysis on Bowie and Juice and as well the impact this season on John Carlson. All right, we will take a timeout. When we come back, we'll continue the theme with the Blue Liners. We'll hear from Matt Niskanen. He chatted earlier today with Mike Vogel looking ahead at the upcoming home-and-home series against the Carolina Hurricanes, which gets underway tonight here at Capital One Arena. Game day edition of Caps Talk back in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Sports talk show in Washington, completely dedicated to hockey. You're welcome. What the run? This is Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7, baby. All Capitals, all the time. Call the show at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 right now or reach us on Twitter at Capitals Radio. To Backstrom at the left point, firing his Orpik and a chance it blocked on the way, and that'll do it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Vancouver. The win streak at Capital One Arena has run to 10. Caps beat the Canucks 3 to 1. 
And there was the final call on Tuesday night. Yeah, Capitals, a season-high five-game winning streak. They've also won 10 in a row here at Capital One Arena. They'll look to keep both streaks alive tonight when they take on the Carolina Hurricanes front end of a home-and-home -home series. Two teams heading in opposite directions. The Capitals playing very well of late. Carolina limping into town, having dropped four of their previous five games. The Hurricanes one point back of the logjam, comprising the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. As we welcome you back to the broadcast booth, it is Ben Raby back with you. And for a preview of the back-to-backs against Carolina, we check in with Mike Vogel, who chatted earlier today one-on-one -on -one after the camp's morning skate with defenseman Matt Niskanen. Uh, you guys starting off a home-and-home -home set tonight, obviously, with the Carolina Hurricanes. I feel like back in the day, uh, 20, 30 years ago, these home-and-homes these were a little more prominent. Uh, how do you guys feel about them being able to see the same team, usually a team in your own division, uh, two, two times in two nights? It's a little bit different. Uh, I think ideally you, you like playing different teams every night. It's just more refreshing, different challenge every night, but this pre presents a unique challenge. So, um, division opponent that's trying to trying to climb, and we're trying to stay where we are. So, um, it could be a, a big swing here in, in a matter of two nights if we're, if we're sharp or if we're not. So, uh, hopefully, we'll be real competitive here at home tonight and try to get get that first one. And it may be colored a little bit differently by the fact that you guys played them last week down there too. And I know you didn't play in that game, but uh, does does that help you guys a little bit having played them so recently and having prevailed too, knowing what works, what doesn't? There were a few lead changes in that game. Yeah, I think uh, familiarity is, can help. So uh, there was portions of that game where the guys probably felt like it wasn't going that well, and then we did some things real well that were real to generate some goals and um you know hopefully we'll try to continue that trend and figure out what works and try to execute you guys a pretty strong month of december followed it up by winning your first three games uh, in the month of january we talked a lot about how the schedule plays out uh this month but to, to me it, it's kind of remarkable if you go back to the beginning of november uh, when you guys came back from the, the western canada trip 31 games, I think, since then, and you guys have actually played a little bit above the pace that you played at over the last two seasons that produced a couple of uh, President's, uh, President's trophies. What, what's what gone into that? What's gone? Because, I mean, we're, we're not talking about a small portion of the season here. We're talking about probably 38, 40% of the season that you guys, with a different cast of characters and a fair amount of turnover, have actually outperformed the, the, the performance that you guys put up the last two seasons. That's hard to believe. Uh, it doesn't feel that way, uh, probably because of how we started. But um, right now we're a confident group. Um, I think we've kind of figured out what what makes this group tick. And uh, guys are buying in to how we have to play. Um, we're a little bit more committed in a few areas. Uh, battles on the walls. Um, Got to be a little hungry around both nets. Um, Got to really take care of the puck at the blue lines. And um, our special teams have have started to come. I think you know, our, our penalty kill wasn't good early. It's been better as of late. Uh, power play has been good for a number of years, but we had a little lull there. Now that's been a little bit more dangerous lately. So um, a lot of good things right now. We're just. The, I think the thing for us is to keep pushing and get better. Don't get don't get complacent and try to uh, keep striding for improvements. 
We talked a lot the last couple of months about the tightness of the Metropolitan Division standings, and they've stayed tight over that period of time. One thing that I that stands out to me when I look at it is um, every team in the, in the division, most teams in the division have done pretty well on home ice, but there's not a single team among the eight teams in the Metro as of this morning that has won as many as half of its road games. Now, I feel like you guys have been a pretty good road team over the last few years and have actually gotten better, uh, played your best road hockey in the second half of the last few seasons. What's gone into that, and how important do you think that's going to be? Do you think that the team that's able to play the best on the road in this division over the second half is maybe going to have a leg up on the rest of them? Uh, it's starting to look that way. I think um, that's a good quality to have if you uh, could be productive on the road when, when you're not getting matchups and you're in a little bit unfamiliar territory. So um, we've been, pretty, like you said, a pretty good road team uh, the last few years, and I think uh, if we can continue that or even improve on it a little bit, it's going to make us that much more dangerous because we've been real good at home uh, this season. And there they are, pregame thoughts from Matt Niskanen. Again, the Capitals' win streak here on home ice has now reached double digits, the longest home winning streak in the NHL this season at 10 games. We'll see if the Capitals can keep it going tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. Caps and Canes are seeing a whole lot of each other here in a short period of time. Not only the home-and-home -home series the next two nights, but you just have to go back over a week ago. Last Tuesday, these teams got together in Raleigh at the PNC Arena, a 5-4 overtime win for the Capitals. They had to rally from down 4-3 in the third period that night. Alex Ovechkin, you may recall, had the game-tying goal late in the third period, setting the stage for his eventual winning goal in three-on-three -three OT. So you add it up, Capitals and Hurricanes meeting three times in an 11-day stretch highlighted by the home-and-home -home series starting tonight here at Capital One Arena. We'll have more on the Carolina Hurricanes coming up a little bit later on in the show. We'll chat with Mike Maniscalco of the Carolina Hurricanes Radio Network. But when we come back, we'll chat with Steve Wino from the Associated Press, get his thoughts on the Capitals' first half of the season, John Carlson's all-star snub, and what should be on the capital shopping list as the trade deadline is just over a month away. We'll do that next with Steve Wino when Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps Mobile app. It's your team. It's your show. Caps Talk by the fans for the fans. Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 Eastern, on Washington's home for Caps Hockey. Yeah! Caps Radio, 24-7. Here's Ben Raby. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of this game day edition of Caps Talk. Caps Radio, 24-7, continuing to get you set for the Capitals and the Carolina Hurricanes. Again, Mike Maniscalco from the Carolina Hurricanes Radio Network coming up in just a little bit. Also, we're going to call this a throwback Thursday. We're going to go back in time a little bit coming up later on in hour number two. Not that far back. It was a year ago today, January 11th, 2017, if you prefer. Alex Ovechkin crossed off another milestone on his personal resume when he became the 84th player in league history and the first Capitals player to record 1,000 career points, and he did that a year ago tonight in a 5-2 win over the Pittsburgh Penguins. And with that being said, coming up a little bit later on in hour number two, we're going to look back in montage form. We call it the ultimate Alex Ovechkin montage. 
the highlights and milestones throughout his career, and a montage we're probably going to add to in a little bit. He enters play tonight, Ovechkin does, four assists shy of 500 helpers for his career and 15 goals shy of 600 in his NHL career. All right, but right now we head to the lines. We say hello to our friend, first time in 2018 on the show, Steve Wino of the Associated Press. How are you, Wino? I'm great, Ben. How are you? Good. We'll see you here in a little bit. And uh, when we talk about these Capitals, we've been doing it a lot over the course of the few days, looking back at the first half of the season. They sit atop the division, four points clear of Columbus, five up now on third place, New Jersey. I think if we objectively take a step back, this is a surprising development among the early season first half storylines around the league. What do you make of the Capitals back in a familiar spot, first place in the Metropolitan Division, but certainly uh, a different way of getting there this year after that slow start? Sure, and not the talent, but I mean, speaking with Justin Williams earlier, he said, look, things are tight in this division, and and not that he didn't want to give the Capitals any credit, but uh, obviously with with all the guys that, that, that Washington lost in the offseason, whether it's Williams, Carl Lawson, or Marcus Johansson, Kevin Chattenkirk, Carl Olsen, go down the list, uh, it was a surprise that they'd even be uh, in a playoff spot all season. I, I thought maybe they'd be a borderline playoff team, but uh, this is certainly a, a big step out of a guy like Tom Wilson. We've seen Jacob Vrana contribute at points, and Alex Ovechkin's been terrific, and, and Braden Holpe so far, the, the goaltending he's done all season is the biggest reason they're in first place. And so Braden Holpe gets rewarded with the all-star selection, which brings us to John Carlson, another name you could put on that list as far as guys who have certainly contributed a great deal to the first-half success of this team. Carlson, uh, as far as his contributions in the first half, when you take into consideration the name you listed left in the offseason, you throw in Matt Niskanen's early season injury, uh, it's been quite the season for John Carlson, leading the team in ice time, picking up the slack with Niskanen gone. All that being said, because of the structure of the all-star game, perhaps, you have to have a representative from every team. He ends up being left out of the all-star team selection. Yeah, and he probably deserved to be there over Chris Letang, uh, who's not having a strong season. And John Carlson, certainly in a contract year, uh, what he gets in his next deal is going to be more important than one weekend in Tampa. But uh, we, we've seen the, the, the beginnings of this from John Carlson for a little while now. Just uh, the snarl that he developed in his game in the playoffs a few years ago, the, the, the running the point on the power play, just adding everything up. Like He's been able to now... When, especially when Matt Niskanen was hurt, played 30 minutes a night. Uh, and that was a tall task for, for, for Carlson. He's never done that at any point in his career. And uh, clearly, it's, it's the best year of his career he's had so far. Uh, he's probably due for an eight year, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, a $55, $56 million contract this summer. And the Capitals certainly wouldn't be where they're at right now without the contributions of John Carlson. I agree with you. Chris Letang was the head scratcher for me. It's a nice story. He's up to 27 points this season with Pittsburgh. I say a nice story for a guy whose season ended prematurely last year with sure. the neck injury and the surgery that followed. So it's a nice story, but Pittsburgh already has Crosby going to the All-Star game, so it's not as if Chris Letang needed to be there to make sure Pittsburgh has a representative. It's not the same, for example, with Noah Hannafin or Seth Jones on the back end from Carolina and Columbus. They had to be there just as far as the numbers and the representatives. So I agree with you. Chris Letang is a little bit of the, the head scratcher in that regard. And curious what you think, Wino, if you saw Tom Galitti's column today, his interview with uh, general manager Brian McClellan. And we've known for years McClellan, he tells it like it is, honest to a fault. He doesn't shy away from telling us his plans. And usually he really doesn't good job at following through on it and it brings me to what he said today or in the interview with Tom Galitti about John Carlson not sure if you saw but he didn't beat around the bush he said they are going to do everything they can to make sure John Carlson is back in a Capitals uniform and he acknowledged he didn't know if he'd be saying that even as most recently as last offseason 
Yeah, and, and I think that's a sea change with the Capitals in that they were going into this year thinking it'd be the last one with John Carlson, but and that Madison Valley would come in and Lucas Johansson and those other players would kind of be tasked with replacing John Carlson. And it's become clear this, this season that they can't afford to lose him. They, they can't afford to let John Carlson go because there's no one in the organization who can do the things John Carlson does. Uh, play in all situations, penalty kill, power play, uh, a workhorse Stephen strength as he, as he showed uh, during Niskanen's injury. Uh, they, they can't afford to lose him, and, and it's going to be a pretty penny to re-sign John Carlson long-term. Uh, kind of something like what T.J. Oshie cost. And, and John Carlson's a younger player. Uh, I think he'll ha- he would have bigger value on the free agent market than even T.J. Oshie had. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's any way John Carlson's not playing for this team next year unless he doesn't want to. And if he wants to test free agency, that's going to be his right. He's earned that now as, as a UFA. But at this point, I think we're going to be seeing John Carlson in a Capitals uniform for a very long time. And I agree with you. He would fetch more on the open market than Oshie. So Oshie's contract here, he signed the eight-year deal, and that's the one thing the Capitals mm-hmm. have working in their advantage, right? They could offer these guys as many as eight years as opposed to the 30 other teams can only offer seven. So if you're looking at eight years here, Oshie's deal is five and change. For John Carlson, I mean, we're going a little uh, speculative here, but a defenseman like him, the arguably the, the highest-end defenseman on the free agent market this summer. Eight years, you could be looking at north of $7 million, no, per season? Yeah, no, I think I think $7 million is where, is where it's going to end up. I think this is going to be eight years and $56 million when it all end, uh, when it all comes down, and, and that's the going rate. I mean, that's what you look at what's going to happen a couple of years from now, not this next summer, but the year after, with Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson coming up, and, and P.K. Subban's contract kind of being used as barometers that – Maybe John Carlson isn't quite as offensive of a defenseman as P.K. Subban. Maybe he's not at the level, certainly not the level of Drew Doughty and, and, and Eric Carlson, but Victor Hedman, uh, also in, in, in that neighborhood, if he slots just below those guys, uh, he's the Capitals' number one defenseman, and, and that's the going rate for number ones in this league right now who, who are, are about to be unrestricted free agents. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be tough for the Capitals to fit into their salary cap, especially with Lars Eller and Jay Beagle among the UFAs also this summer, and with Tom Wilson certainly deserving and going to be getting a raise, that I, I, Brian McClellan wants to do it. I know he's going, to, he's going to try very hard to do it, but it might come at the cost of losing some more depth, just like they had to do this year when Evgeny Kuznetsov got that long-term contract. Mm-hmm. Certainly something worth monitoring. And final thing here, Wino, and it's Steve Wino joining us here from the Associated Press. Uh, looking uh, a little bit more short-term, if you will, as opposed to the offseason, the trade deadline upcoming at the end of February. I think if you look at this Capitals team, it's easy to say, like most other teams with aspirations of a deep postseason run, you'd like to add a little bit of depth. You'd like to solidify, in this case, the back end, maybe with a veteran defenseman. You know, it's, it's one thing to have Juice and Bowie and the rookies in there during the first half of the regular season. It's another thing completely to make a deep postseason run with two rookies among your top six. That being said, they're going to have to make a hockey trade if they want to make one. And what I mean by that is you can't just bring in somebody for prospects. You'd have to unload somebody on the current roster just based on the salary cap situation. They're right up against it, the Capitals are. But when you look at the potential players who are out there, I'm not sure if you saw TSN did a top 20 of potential trade targets coming up towards the deadline. A lot of these guys are coming with, uh, as you'd imagine, they're, they're headliners. They come with uh, quite a bit of a price tag as far as the salary as well. Yeah, and, and it would take probably trading a guy like Andre Burakovsky to make something happen. As the guy signed at a salary cap head of $3 million, uh, someone who, who's lately been in and out of the lineup, not being able to find a whole lot of consistency offensively in his game. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that the Capitals have to make 
any kind of move at the deadline. If you say in years past that they've made all these kinds of moves, whether it's a big move like Kevin Shattenkirk, smaller stuff, Curtis Glencross, Joe Corvo all along the way, whether it's tweaks or whatever. Tim Gleason. Yeah, Tim Gleason too, and 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 Mike Weber. We we've seen we've seen little bits of of, of those trades. That I, I wonder if the alternative this year is just stay pat, just, just just hold on to the roster, what you've got, and go into it. Because even if you're getting better in, in terms of depth and talent, you're knocking somebody else out of the lineup. And, and last year it was Nate Schmidt, and then it was potentially Carl Alston, and they wound up leading the seven defensemen when when, when no decision could be made about who to scratch. And maybe you say, like, my team's on the ice. Maybe you do the Hoosiers move and say, this is, this is what I've got at this point. Because you're up against, if you're up against a salary cap and you figure a season's worth of experience will make Christian Juice and Madison Bowie better, that you're going to be able to trust them in the roles they're in right now in the playoffs, then the Capitals might have their team. This, this might be it for February 26th and beyond. And I think that's the big difference between this year and years past. Your reference, for example, Curtis Glencross. I think they acquired him for a second and a third round pick, which in retrospect, you could scratch your head on that one. But point being, they acquired an NHLer for two draft picks. Last year, they acquired Shattenkirk for draft picks and a prospect in Zach Sanford who wasn't in the lineup a whole lot. If they are to make a trade this year, you probably would have to take someone off the current 22-23 man roster. But to your point, Wino, we'll see if they do that. Hasn't always worked out as planned in years past, so certainly something to monitor in the weeks and month plus ahead. Appreciate this. We'll see you at the barn later tonight. Thank you, Wino. Thanks, Ben. See you soon. All right, there he is, Steve Wino from the Associated Press, joining us here on Capstock. And, uh, yeah, it is on uh, tsn.ca right now, tsn.ca slash NHL. They put up uh, a chart of the top 20 trade deadline possibilities when you look at teams that are – you know, likely to be sellers come the end of February, teams on the outside of playoff contention. But if you're a Capitals fan and you look and you want to add, for example, a depth defenseman, uh, it's pretty limited in terms of who's available for, you know, less than $2.5 for example. So it be interesting to see uh, how Brian McClellan handles things with the February 26th trade deadline. All right, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention back to tonight's matchup against Carolina. We'll get the scouting report on the Hurricanes. We'll do that with Mike Maniscalco from the Hurricanes Radio Network. This Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps Mobile app. Call us at one eight five five go caps 5 We got a pretty good high-scoring offense. Um, I think we have the right coaching staff in place. Now it seems like everybody's firing on all cylinders. I, mean, I think they have a deeper team than they've ever had before. I'm thinking we're going to do real well. I'm expecting wonderful things for the Caps this year. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Now to the right side, Ovechkin. Right circle, a shot, he scores! Ovechkin does it again! Overtime winner from the right circle! Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Carolina! Washington wins in come-from-behind fashion! Final score, 5-4 to four here in Raleigh! The captain buries it for another OT thriller! Yeah, that's how it sounded the last time the Capitals and Carolina Hurricanes got together. Don't have to go too far back into the archives for that one. That was last Tuesday 
as the Capitals and Hurricanes set to meet three times in an 11-day stretch, including the home-and-home -home series that is set to begin tonight here at Capital One Arena. And then the quick turnaround, Caps and Hurricanes again tomorrow at PNC Arena in Raleigh. Ben Raby back with you in the broadcast booth. And to help us get set for tonight's game with the scouting report on the Hurricanes, we welcome back to the program from Fox Sports South in the Carolina Hurricanes, Mike Maniscalco. Mike, how are you? Been great, although I, I will admit I've had better openings to get me onto a radio show. <laughs> that one's a little painful to well, listen to, given the scouting report, but a great call by John on uh, all of that. So, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to this, and it's funny how the schedule works, Ben. We haven't seen you all year, and we're going to see you three times in about 12 days. So, go uh, NHL computers. I like this. I did the rounds in the room today, and you get varying opinions. Some players prefer the variety. Others are like, okay, it makes the scouting report, the meetings a little bit briefer. But I personally like this, and I like the home-and-home home in two consecutive nights as opposed to we've seen in the past, I don't know about you, play a team on a Tuesday maybe, and then you see them again, you know, Friday or Saturday with the layoff. Yeah. I much prefer this. This is old school here. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. In fact, I've been talking about that with uh, almost anybody who will listen. This is the old – I grew up with the old Adams division, Patrick division, and you'd have home and homes on the weekend, and it was great because the first game there'd be something that would happen and you'd have the anticipation of, well, is it going to carry over yeah. the next night? I think this is great, and I, I also think it's great because the way that the Metro division is this year, Ben, you see it, this is just going to add to the rivalries in, in this division and add to the, the drama and the spice for these teams trying to get points. So I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time. I can't remember – the last time the Canes had a true home-and-home home like this where they played a team on a, a Thursday and then the next night they played that exact same team. There have been a lot of playing a team on Tuesday and then playing them again on Thursday, but this one I, I think is going to be pretty good. And it was a great game in Raleigh for these teams. I was in between the benches for it, and uh, it was just a fast-paced game, and I'm expecting the same thing here tonight. And having grown up in Montreal, plenty familiar with those old Adams Division battles as well. Sabres, Whalers, Bruins, Nordiques, and Canadians. Good times back in the day. All right, so we'll bring it back to the present, the Hurricanes and Capitals tonight. And uh, look, we look at Carolina. I remember speaking to you late last season, Mike, and the Hurricanes were trying to make a late-season playoff push, but I think they at least, you know, wet the appetite a little bit. A lot of people had them. They were sort of the trendy pick, right, entering this season as a team yep. that could get into the playoffs. And look, they enter playoffs tonight one point out of that log jam for the second wild card spot but when you take a step back and you look at the first half of the season I know they it seemed for for the longest time they had games in hand on everyone and were lower than everybody in the standings but when you take a step back the first half of the season are, are Bill Peters and company pleased with how it's gone or, or I, mean, I imagine there's uh, quite a bit of room for improvement still uh, I think if, if it can be both Ben and I really don't want to hedge my answer on that I think there's been both. I think there's been times where this team is pleased with their play. You know, they went on a run their last 11 games before this stumble. They were 8-2-1. and one. So things were starting to fall into place. But, you know, a bit of a sluggish start, not the traditional slow start where this team would seem to have been buried in October and then they're fighting for points to go there. They've, they've stayed within striking distance in this division. But they definitely feel they should be ahead of the pace of where they're at right now. But at the same time, they're keeping pace in the Metro, and when you consider who's in this division, I think there's room for optimism. It's just now all about consistency with this team because I'll take you back a couple of nights ago. They played their best game of the season against the Pittsburgh Penguins and blanked them 4 to nothing at PPG Paints Arena. It was the best game I've seen them play this year. Then they followed up with that 7-1 shellacking at the hands of the Boston Bruins, and they look like a completely different team. So 
consistency is the thing that's plagued this team for, for several years, and it's plaguing it right now. And, and I think it's at the most incons- it's at the worst time for this to happen because if you're inconsistent this week with the rest of the Metro that's on the bye, they all come back next week. The Canes can find themselves further out of the playoff picture than what they want to be. And I'll combine them here as far as the inconsistency. We'll talk about the goaltenders here. Cam Ward, a pleasant surprise, I imagine, here in what is ultimately a contract year. We figured, okay, this would be maybe his his finale, if you will, in Carolina, and it still might turn out that way with Scott Darling locked up. But, uh, man, oh, man, if you had said midway through the season that Cam Ward would emerge as you know, the, the stronger of the two, if you will. Scott Darling signs that four-year deal, and it seems at long last, given the reins as a, a number one goalie, uh, it's been a little bit of a, a transition for Scott Darling as far as handling that full-time starter's position. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's always that, that fear of when you have a guy who's been a backup and you give him the reins, how does he handle it, especially in the situation? And, and in Scott's case, there's a lot that's been documented about his career. Uh, not exactly the smoothest path, the path of a player to get to the to the National Hockey League and become a number one goalie. But uh, for the Scott Darling story, I point to Cam Talbot in Edmonton from when he got there his first year from New York. Everybody said, look, Cam Talbot paid his dues. He's going to be the guy. In his first year in Edmonton, he struggled. You know, new system, new team, new players. The team in front of him played different than the defensive system that was had in New York. Well, the the Canes play a different defensive system than the Chicago Blackhawks with different players, even though I know there's a joke that uh, we've become Chicago South <laughs> and Carolina with all the uh-huh. Blackhawk players, Ben. But, you know, there's still that adjustment period. And then going back to Talbot, last year he really settled in and, and helped get this team going to the postseason in Edmonton. That's, I, I think, how I'm trying to start to measure this for Scott Darling because there have been games where he's looked outstanding. He looked outstanding against the Columbus Blue Jackets. By the way, I want to thank everybody here at Capital One Arena to make every single noise you could possibly make in a rink while I'm talking to you right now. It's, uh, it's seriously, they're edging, they're knocking out seats, they're catching the horn. So uh, they must have known I was here for you. But Scott has had some great games. He beat Columbus at the end of a – the Canes had a six-game road trip, 13 days out west. They played – finished in Buffalo, naturally, after you finished the west, you finished that trip in Buffalo. Then they played Columbus the next night in Carolina. Scott Darling was great, but he's had his struggles. And I think part of it is just trying to adapt to the system and what's going on. I, I don't know if I want to pause, but Cam Ward would have been the strongest of the goalies right now as far as it was all going into this season set up to be. But Cam has always been a really solid netminder, even though the numbers might have betrayed him here and there. The funny thing about Cam Ward in this season, Ben, and uh, let me know if this makes sense to you and to your listeners, the Carolina Hurricanes finally found the perfect backup that they needed for Cam Ward all these years, and it's Cam Ward. So they found the guy <laughs> who they needed who could spell the starter and give the team a chance to win every single night. Uh, the, the problem is Cam is now put back in the role because he's just been the better of the two goaltenders. It's no secret. Uh, both of them yeah. uh, have backed each other up well. The, the dynamic is great. Cam is doing all that he can to support Scott Darling. Scott Darling does the exact same thing for Cam Ward, so there's no situation there, and I don't think anybody's looking for it, but it's just been interesting to see that Cam has been the guy since pretty much mid-November to be the goalie that, that's kept the Hurricanes here in the race in the Metro Division. 11-4-2 overall on the season is Cam Ward at 2.78. Goals against average. Just be happy, Mike, you didn't have the tone in the background. That was our number one when the tone and color bars were flashing <laughs> on the scoreboard. We appreciate this, Mike, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it down the line. Enjoy the games the next two nights. Thank you.
Absolutely, Ben. I mean, it'll be forever since we can do this again. Or if you need me tomorrow, just let me know. I'll be ready for you. <laughs> All good. Mike Maniscalco, Fox Sports South, joining us here on this game day edition of Capstock. All right, we will take a timeout when we come back on this Throwback Thursday edition of the show. We're going to go back, not that far back, a year ago tonight, January 11th, 2017. Another milestone in the career of Alex Ovechkin as he picked up his 1,000th career point. It gives us a good enough excuse to uh, go back into the archives and check in with the ultimate Alex Ovechkin highlight montage, his entire career. You can hear it in 10 minutes. And we will do that when Capstock continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps Mobile app. This is Caps Talk. Caps Radio 24-7. Canucks will clear. The battle for it in front of the Washington bench. And now give it to Kuznetsov. Weak side. Skates in. And a shot that comes in. Rebound. Score! Off a Canuck and in. Kuznetsov breaks the drought with 15-03 to go in the second. It's three. One. Washington. And there it was Tuesday night of Genny Kuznetsov with the insurance marker, his 13th goal of the season, his first in seven games for Kuznetsov. Helped give the Capitals the 3-1 lead in the second period. That would stand as the final as the Capitals got it done over the Vancouver Canucks for their season-high fifth win in a row. Now we've referenced it a little bit earlier on in hour number one of the show, the play of the Capitals' second line on Tuesday night, Kuznetsov centering Verana and Wilson. Verana and Wilson both matched their career highs with six shots on goal. Kuznetsov had three shots on goal, added up 15 shots on net for the trio, and they were a handful for the Vancouver Canucks. Tom Wilson doing his thing, creating some space for Kuznetsov and Verana to use their wheels and speed. And Jacob Verana, he enters play tonight, 10 games without a goal, but Earlier today, asked Barry Trotz about Verona and Wilson and the contributions uh, they made Tuesday night in the win over Vancouver. Well, what I liked about Jacob, uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, he had maybe taken a, ha a little half step backwards. What I liked about him is he was really driving in that hard. Um, he was using his speed. He was using his assets. I mean, uh, he's not going to uh, get down the ice and get a big hit on a guy, but he got down the ice and pressured people, created them uh, you know, created turnovers. He created uh, uh, pressure on them to make plays quicker. Uh, when he had the puck offensively, he pushed their D back. He he drove the net. He did a great job on. I think it was good Branson in the second period. I mean, he was determined. Uh, him and Kuzi uh, were real strong. I thought uh, you know his his wall play was was solid. So uh, that line was really good. They they generated a ton of chances and and could have had a number of goals. Maybe it's a stretch, but. Talk about those characteristics and the determination. Can they go up a little bit when you've got a Tom Wilson there clearing some space? And, and well, it, it, yeah, a little bit. And I, I mean, uh, I think more than anything, they uh, Tom can do that. And uh, the great thing about Tom is he's he can pr provide that element, but he can also get around the uh, around the ice pretty well as well. And he opens up space uh, when when uh, when he is in the offensive part too. So. But when Kuzi has the puck, um, and those two guys are are, are heading to space, um, there's a lot of good offense that comes out of that. 
And we'll see if they can keep it going tonight against the Hurricanes as that line remains intact, the Capitals' second trio for tonight's game against the Hurricanes. And again, Andre Burakovsky back on the third line with Lars Eller and TJ Oshie as Brett Connolly will sit this one out tonight as a healthy scratch. All right, before we leave you here on this edition of Caps Talk, we remind you that the official start of Caps pregame is coming up at 645 with John Walton, Ken Sabrin, and myself on 106.7 The Fan and 1500 AM in D.C. with puck drop tonight just past 7 o'clock. We're going to leave you now on this Throwback Thursday edition of the show. From a year ago tonight, January 11, 2017, Alex Ovechkin became the first Capitals player to record 1,000 career points with the franchise, and it was as good as, of an excuse as any to look back into the archives with the ultimate Alex Ovechkin highlight montage. Let's not wait any longer. The first selection in the 2004 NHL entry draft belongs to the Washington Capitals. With the first selection in the 2004 NHL entry draft, Washington Capitals are pleased to select Alexander Ovechkin. Minus the Zubris spins. Ovechkin fires. He scores! Alexander Ovechkin, welcome on board. Well, that is called pulling the trigger, and this youngster hammers it home. What a first goal for Alexander Ovechkin. Ovechkin fires. He scores! Alex Ovechkin, number 50. The golden moment in a sparkling rookie year. Chase for Ovechkin. He scores! That's all he needs. He's off to a pretty decent start, the kid, isn't he? Absolutely. That is goal number 100 of his NHL career. Back to the line, green, slap shot. Ovechkin out of front. Ovechkin has it. Fires it. Scores! Alex Ovechkin does it again! He scores the goal in overtime. And the Caps will walk away a winner. The final 5-4 as Alex Ovechkin has his second ever four-goal game. Alex, the great point-blank range, and the Capitals ice Montreal. Ovechkin's in solo. Ovechkin forehand. He scores! Back in the 50s with a breakaway. Thomas goes down in the elevation. And how about the reaction of Ovechkin jumping into the glass? Two-time 50-goal scorer, Alexander Ovechkin. Nick Backstrom inside. Ovechkin scores! Alexander Ovechkin! 61 goals, and now he has scored more goals than any player in Washington Capitol history. And on the draw here in the King Zone, loose buck in the corner. Seven got knocked down. Fans wanted a penalty on that. Ovechkin scores! His 200th goal in his career and his first ever against the Kings, Alexander Ovechkin. Ovechkin cutting one on three. Ovechkin the wrist shot. Scores! Alex Ovechkin one on three into the Tampa Bay zone. And for Ovechkin, book it. His 50th goal of the season. And for Alex Ovechkin, his third 50-goal season of his career. That is a Capitals franchise record. And the recipient of 2009 Hart Trophy is... Alexander Ovechkin. It's all about my team, and uh, they give me a lot. And uh, my coach give me lots of uh, ice time. Uh, my center, Nicholas Backstrom, give me a great box, and uh, I score big goals. If you're just joining us tonight, Capitals, when they came out for the pregame warm-up, 
Onyx Ovechkin now wearing the C. He's the 14th capital captain in franchise history. Oh, it's a uh, big honor for me to be a captain of uh, Washington Capitals. Uh, uh, I'm going to do my best, and uh, I'm very happy and uh, very excited. 13 seconds left in the period. Alex Ovechkin on the curling drag. One hands it! He scored! A magnificent goal for point number 500! Down deep, Sturm at the goal line. Sturm to light. Back to Ovechkin. Scores! Alex Ovechkin on the five on three. It's now 1-1 here in Toronto as Alex Ovechkin has scored the 300th goal of his NHL career. Barrel looks to center. No rule against Harrison. Now Brower finds the puck. Ovechkin scores! Alex Ovechkin as the puck came from Troy Brower. Ovechkin with a goal, his 10th of the year, his 700th career point. 700 points in the National Hockey League career of Alex Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin takes the pass from Mike Green. Green off the head fake. Ovechkin scores! Throw the hats! The great eight has tied it. The brand new record holder for the Washington Capitals for the most power play goal scored in a capital sweater. Alex Ovechkin with 138 goals. The new record holder surpassing Peter Bondra. He just kind of grabs me and uh, you know, he just tells me, like, uh, let me on the record. Short-handed. Ovechkin in a foot race. Coming up along the side. He shoots. He scores. Alex Ovechkin with his 400th. National Hockey League goal! We salute Alex Ovechkin here with the empty netter. Goal number 400. He always wants to beat somebody, especially if you play for the club for a long time. And, um, you know, they have a history and uh, you want to be part of the history. 800 points for Alex Ovechkin in his National Hockey League career on that goal. Congratulations to Alex Ovechkin, the second Washington Capital in team history to reach the 800-point plateau. Picked up on the left side, Ovechkin at the left, point of shot, they score! Backstrom with a goal! Ovechkin, history! The all-time franchise point leader! 826! So you get the record, uh, you're gonna be here for a long time and maybe the rest of your life. And uh, it's it's nice when you have that kind of uh, numbers on your back and um, you know you just want to continue what you're doing. There's Nets up looking for Ovechkin. Score! That's number 50. Now he's tied with the exceptional number 12. The fans salute the grade 8. His teammates salute the grade 8. Standing ovation here at Verizon Center. John Carlson ahead to Alex Ovechkin. Gets around Brandon Press. Cuts in. He scores! Alex Ovechkin with his fifth season the all-time Washington Capitals goal-scoring leader he passes Peter Bondra he stands alone nobody in a Washington Capitals sweater will ever be better than Alexander the Great you know it's history it's uh, nice to be part of it and uh, it's nice to be in that uh, company and uh, without my teammates my dad my uh, all my coaches uh, you know, it's never really happened. Alex pulls up. Deflection try. Good save. Lets it in. Oshi with a goal out there. Back in. Score! Alex Ovechkin has done it. The greatest.
greatest Russian goal scorer the NHL has ever seen. Ovechkin, an OT winner for $4.99. And Ovechkin, a single goal away from $500 in his National Hockey League career. Backdoor look, Ovechkin rips, he scores! In a flash! Welcome to the club, number 500 for the Great Eights. Yeah, like uh, I did it, uh, we did it uh, in front of our fans. It's a special moment. Uh, I'm going to remember it for all my life. History at Verizon Center, the 43rd player in National Hockey League history to score 500. The greatest DC sports moments that the Capitals have ever provided to date. And a cast breaking out. It is Backstrom. On down to Ovechkin. In on the right side. Ovechkin's going to call his own number. He scores! The goal! And 1,000 NHL points! Alex Ovechkin does it again! 35 seconds in. He brings the crowd to its feet. And it's one nothing. Washington, congratulations, Alex Ovechkin, on 1,000 points in the National Hockey League. Well, you couldn't ask for anything better. You knew he was going to do something exciting. First shift of the game, he gets it, brings a nice little curling drag at top shelf. He's done so many times, and congratulations to Alex. He is the 84th player in NHL history to reach 1,000. He is just the 37th player in NHL history to do it with one team. The standing ovation continues. He is on the bench. They will not let it go without a curtain call. And he waves to the crowd. Oh, what a moment. Here at Verizon Center is Alex Ovechkin has made it one nothing on the game's first shots. He has had a flair for the dramatic. Since he came into the league in 2005, he leaves nobody waiting. It's times like these you give and give again. It's times like these you learn to love again. It's times like these time and time again. You've been listening to Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Tune in every Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern to hear the players, coaches, media, and fans talk Caps hockey. Go Caps! And always taking your phone calls at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 on your all-capitals, all-the-time station. Caps Radio 24-7.